Ever get the feeling that you just really want to listen to a conversation about the role of marketing leaders and CMOs? Well, you're in luck, my friend, as that's exactly what you're going to get with CMO Convo. We're joined by Simon Severino, business strategy advisor and author of Strategy Sprints, to discuss what your marketing priorities need to be in an agile sales environment. Who are the key players? How should your teams be structured? And what tools do you need to reach your goals? Keep those ears open, as we'll be talking about all this and more in this episode. Hi, Simon. Welcome to CMO Convo. How are you doing today? Hello, everybody. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here as well, because it's a, it's a perspective that we don't often get in on CMO Convo. And it's, we're looking at sort of like marketing, supporting sales rather than sort of sales and marketing working together kind of thing. Um, especially in an agile environment. It's not something we've talked about much before, even though it's so popular in a lot of organizations. So I'm very excited to be discussing that today. Um, but before we do get down to that, Simon, maybe you could tell us a bit about yourself and why you wanted to talk about this conversation today. Yeah, so 21 years ago, I did fall in love with the topic of go-to-market because I was invited by teams to solve the most pressing problems and their most pressing problems were how do we enter a market? How do we crush it in a market? How do we stay competitive? And so they would literally not get out of the room until we have solved that. And so those workshops with the top executive teams of the big brands, they might um, be for three days or four days or five days. They were like, Simon, we are okay with staying over the weekend. We have to solve this. We have to find a way to enter the market, crush the market better than our competitor, faster than our competitor. And, and we are here. If we need five days more, we will stay five days more. And it was like, wow, that's really the topic that they're passionate about. And um, the intellectual stimulation and the emotional intensity of the thing, I did fall in love with this kind of workshops. And that's what I did for the last 21 years. The only difference is it became more and more structured. We have now a, a huge toolbox of 274 go-to-market tools ready, plug and play ready for people in the Sprint University. We became more and more digital over the last 21 years, or more and more agile. And we will unpack what that means. That is was changed, but the fire that burns inside of me is still, how can we crush it in the market? And that's what I do every day. Now I'm not the consultant anymore. Now I am the CEO of the company, which is now a global company, but it's still the same. How can we crush it in the market? And we are here to serve those people. And it's going to be very, very important at the moment as well, um, that kind of approach, because competition is so high amongst all these different verticals. Um, in pretty much every industry, there's huge market saturation. So how you go to market, how you enter the market is incredibly important to make waves for sure. Um, so before we get into sort of like marketing priorities in an agile sales environment, I think it's worthwhile sort of defining what we mean by an agile sales environment. I'm sure a lot of our audience are familiar with that, but it makes sense sort of have some context, have a foundation for what we're going to be talking about today. So what is your definition of an agile sales environment? Yeah, a rigid company cannot react quickly to stuff. So let's say you see that the Great Britain pounds is collapsing and you saw it yesterday evening in the news. How fast can you change your UK product launches, your UK services portfolio? How fast can you do it? Can you do it? 
as fast as it's collapsing, then you are agile. Do you need longer than it takes to collapse? Then you are rigid. That's the simple definition of what is an agile company or a rigid company. Now, if we break it down, what is a company? A company is a value creation and value capturing machine. So you create value and you capture that value, which is profits for you and for, your, and for everybody. So how does value get created? There is marketing, sales, and operations. That's it. That's what happens. And on top of that, you need also management. So, and, and what is management? Management is improving form, fit, and function of marketing, improving form, fit, and function of sales, improving form, fit, and function of operations. And of course, growing and scaling the thing um, over multiple countries and industries. That is the, the short definition. And now, so agility is how fast you can react to stuff outside. And I like also to add resilience because resilience is very important. And resilience is the degree of adaptability by the system itself. So for example, if there is key people dependency, then it's a low resilience because those people get COVID, you have a problem. And so people dependency is one. The other one is the number of repeatable sales process and the number of automated sales processes. If you stack different revenue streams upon each other, and some of those are even on autopilot, then your resilience is much higher. The second thing is the cost structure. And so marketing creates costs. So uh, how can we deal with the costs in an agile way that is resilient? And we can, we can go there. And basically, it's turning fixed costs into variable costs. So when there is less work, there are less costs. Zero work, zero costs. That's 100% resilience. And there's a lot of projects. There's a lot of work. You have higher costs from the profits, not uh, per se. So that is um, the highest resilience possible. And on the other side, you have fixed costs, but you have volatile um, uh, capacity and volatile amounts of work per month. That's not very resilient. And it's also very stressful. So what we focus right now uh, when we coach teams is to increase resilience, to increase agility, and to reduce the stress, the number of activity, and um, their inter and and the the lack of uh, alignment between those activities. Awesome, awesome, and you can see why this approach has become. I mean, it predates COVID, of course, but you can see why a lot more businesses are taking this approach um, in light of the pandemic and with everything else that's going on now as well, with the, the the recessions that are looming over many many areas of the world. You can see why they want to take this ad adaptable and resilient model um, because it helps you weather these kinds of difficult times. I hope so, because you know, three years from now, many many of of us will not be in business anymore. And who will be in business? Uh, the ones who can adapt and who have resilient revenue structures and resilient cost structures. Well, let's hope today that we can give some valuable advice to help us get through these next three years. Um, so when it comes to this agile sales environment, who are the key players that CMOs need to be aware of? Who are the key stakeholders that they need to be sort of thinking about when they're approaching this environment? 
Yeah, the first thing that I did when I developed the Strategies Prince method was to install a daily habit, weekly habit, and monthly habit. The daily habit is every day, how are you allocating your time? What will you delegate tomorrow? So every CMO needs to do this every day. You write down how did I allocate my time tomorrow today? And then you reflect which one of those tasks will I delegate tomorrow? Because you are also responsible for scaling the whole organization. So you solve a problem, you solve a marketing problem, you write it down, how, how you solved it, and you hand it over and you move to the next bigger marketing problem. So let's say you have just helped to solve um, cold email outreach. All right, you write it down, you hand it over. You move on to the next bigger problem. That is, for example, big affiliate partnerships. And then you solve that, you write it down, you hand it over, you move to the next bigger problem. That is, for example, a certification program to roll out globally what you're doing or you know, opening a new market. Um, so you always move to the next higher problem to solve. That is your contribution to scaling the whole thing. And so that's the daily habit. Then there is the weekly habit. And the weekly habit, this is different from most people probably, because the weekly habit is one dashboard with just three numbers. There is one marketing number, one sales number, and one operations number. And uh, the teams look at this dashboard every seven days, usually on a Friday. So on a Thursday, well, one member of the team collects all those data. And on Friday, we have a team meeting with at least one person from marketing, one person from sales, and one person from operations and the executive level. And they look at this one dashboard. So what happens is you solve many, many, many problems at once with this simple thing. Because one of the problems is they usually, as you said, they see themselves as supporting sales. They don't see themselves as involved in operations. They don't see sales as involved in their work. They don't see operations as being part of their work. But in reality, they all play a role in each other's work and they all cannot succeed without the others. So that's why once a week for at least half an hour, they all have one dashboard together. And now the discussion changes. The discussion is, Oh, yes, we crushed it. We did 170 events on LinkedIn Live. And then sales goes, yeah, but how many opt-ins? Uh, and that now you have better conversations. Mm -hmm. Sales can say, oh, my God, yes, we sold twice as much as last week. And then operations say, yeah, and how much of them can we really deliver? <laughs> <laughs> so these are really important conversations that most teams don't have because they are departmentalized, like they create silos and then they avoid actually these conversations. And what happens is then you have a high number of activities, but they don't really build upon each other. So that's why we have also the monthly habit once a month. We look at the whole strategy and the execution for the next 90 days in weekly sprints. And that is developed together. Those three teams together develop the next 90 days plan. 
And so it's similar to, to OKR, but, it, but it's, it's simpler. It's a, sprint, it's a sprint model. And so there are 12 weeks, 12 sprints, and we solve one bottleneck each. So who are the important stakeholders? Marketing, sales, operations, and management. Those are the four important stakeholders that need to sync at least once a week. I really like this approach of having the shared dashboard between the three different departments, between operations, sales, and marketing, because as you say, they all intersect in really important ways within an organization. And oftentimes you can find it being less of a three-way conversation, rather more like having to jump between multiple different conversations. So having that all in one place has got to be very effective. So what, what are these numbers that are on the, on the dashboard? What are the important things that you need to be paying attention to? We have a huge white list and a huge blacklist. <laughs> so, so that the teams can pick quicker, basically. That's why we have the white list so that they can, because sometimes it's new for them to pick just one number because they are used to having 35 KPIs reported every six months or every month or every year. And now we ask for one KPI every week. So the conversation starts, okay, which one is really most important? And so in the marketing department, for example, many, many start with uh, engagement rate on LinkedIn, eh, blacklist. <laughs> engagement rate doesn't tell you anything. So even marketing, you should measure from the point where people do something. So opt-ins are on the whitelist. For example, specific landing page, number of opt-ins per week. Some people want to measure unique visitors per week on the website. Eh, not yet really relevant. If we would have a top 20 list, it would be on the top 20, but it cannot become the most important marketing number because you might have a huge number of unique visitors, but nothing happens with that. And so there are numbers that are just fancy to measure, but don't tell you anything. And then there are numbers that really tell you something. For example, a fancy number is watch time on YouTube. doesn't tell you anything. Or, you know, the duration on your website, duration, how long do people stay on your website, doesn't tell you anything. Um, and, and then there are very relevant metrics, like the number of opt-ins, people who subscribe to your newsletter. So they give you their email address, that's relevant. They give you their email address and phone number, that's even more relevant. So we measure the thing, the opt-ins where they give you phone number and email address. And that can be number of opt-ins on a specific sales page, landing page, can be number of opt-ins to the newsletter if you ask also for the phone number. Because then the sales number will be, of course, closed deals per week. That's easy to define. But the, the ratio will be from people who gave you their phone number to how many hours did it take until you call them to how many hours did it take until you close them? And that will be a very important thing to measure every week. And if you just measure that, now you can imagine all activities will be much more concentrated around really money-making activities. So basically your team can work half of the time that it's working right now and have more results. Uh, I suppose it, it, it means you've got to really think about what is important to these other departments like you have to think you have to forget all these 
the vanity metrics and stuff that I know marketers love them. We love looking at engagement rates go up. We lo- love looking at unique site visitors and organic search results and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, what is important? We can to still sell? do it. Can I, we can? Yeah, you can if you enjoy it. You can. I also watch all the numbers on my phone. I have my two YouTube channels, and they're telling <laughs> me that this video is getting more views than the other. Yes, I enjoy it, but it's not the most important number where the whole team should. Uh, review every week right so i watch of course i want to know oh there is a topic on youtube or there is a topic on our blogs that's getting clicked more than others sure but that's not the weekly analytics session the weekly analytics session is really opt-ins how many hours before we call them how many did we close why didn't we close them um how's the delivery going will we upsell them will they will we retain them what's the churn rate those are the things that the whole team should discuss every seven days. And then everything else, sure. If you have fun, yes. I love all the all the YouTube analytics. Mm-hmm. I love I love all analytics in general. And of course, we learn from them. Even from the SEO analytics, I'm learning that, oh, this is what people type in. Mm, I should, we should do more content on that. Sure, it's really important, but it's not the most important metric of the week. And I suppose having this sort of like guiding star of a metric kind of puts those vanity metrics in in context. Like if you're able to see, how, if you're able to measure how this very important number is going up, you're able to see how those background, those vanity fancy metrics are affecting it. So the sales team might not care about engagement rate, but they only care about that, that opt-in number going up. But if you see the opt-in numbers going up, you're able to think, ah, engagement rates driving that and it it puts things in context having this as a guiding star i suppose exactly so (laughs) let's talk about changes everything by the way it changes everything like we had this week we had the dozens uh coaching conversations and many of them they have an amazing blog like really huge traction on the blog and then we were asking okay and what's what's the opt-in rate uh, opt-in to what? <laughs> so so they have an amazing flow, amazing traffic on the blog. They have super fans, but there is no call to action at the end of the blog to actually hop on your hop on the phone. And they don't collect uh, a phone number so that you could call them. You know, in the first two hours, this is something that marketing people sometimes oversee, is that sales is a timing game. Mm-hmm. It's a contact sports and it's a timing game. It's all around time. If at the end of the blog, you say, hey, want to know more? Download this seven points checklist on how you can implement this this week. And if you ask for phone number and email address. And now in the first two hours, your sales team calls them. In the first two hours, your conversion rate is 80% higher than in the third hour. Wow. Wow. That's, that's That's huge. Yeah, That's huge. Right. And so that's why these two hours matter more than everything else you do in the week, everything else that you do in the month. That's why we help uh, those teams really reduce the number of activities and just do the right thing at the right time. And then you can go golfing for the rest of the day. (laughs) I'm sure many, many marketers uh, hearing that and thinking it's definitely singing the tune they want to hear 
there, Simon. Particularly, <laughs> particularly, particularly content marketers, I'm sure as well. Like content, a long time has been treated as sort of like just get as much content out there as possible. We don't yes. care what the content's for; just get that content oh. out there. So, I, no, I no, suppose, no. Yeah, go on. Yeah, I suppose yeah. It, it means you've got to be smarter about all these different activities you're taking. They have to have a purpose totally. at the end of the day. Totally. And that's why things like YouTube, like Google Analytics, Facebook Analytics, they are amazing because they tell us actually which content piece is working and which content piece is not working. They tell you at which second people hop off. So you you know exactly, oh, this ad is annoying. This ad is less annoying. So of course, these are very important metrics that every second week, every fourth week, we look at all these things. And I, I check the YouTube analytics daily because they are on the phone. Whenever I have five seconds, I, I just have a quick look. And so they're telling me, oh, look, people, Simon, right now they need CRM help much more than they need cold calls. Oh, all right. That's telling me something about the market. So we will do more content about how to do the CRM the right way. That's oh, from last week, for example. So when it comes to knowing what to improve in the in the background outside of this important metric that you share with the other departments, how transparent should you be about the different tactics or strategies you're trying? Then like, do, does the head of sales need to know about the individual pieces of content that are driving these opt-ins that are providing the leads? Or is it more about just keeping them aware of what they need to know kind of thing? Good question. So we see many people, they either are great with inbound or they are great with outbound. And so the first thing is we help them balance both. Because in terms of resilience, like we discussed in the beginning, you need both because stuff will break at some point. And the more complicated you build it, the more parts will break. That's a simple engineering wisdom. Uh, that the more parts something has, the, the more will break. That's why Elon Musk says the best part is no part. <laughs> he's, he's a really good engineer in this in this regard. So uh, the one thing is you have inbound system and you have outbound systems, and you try to have them kind of balanced. And in them, you also want to have multiple activities. So not just relying on one social media, for example, but having two or three that are working because they can change the algorithm and they will not ask you. And then everything changes for you. We experienced this over the last month. So that's the next thing, inbound and outbound and um, having multiple streams in there. So should everybody know about all tactics? No, because it's too much. The tactics, you will change them week by week because you measure the sprint dashboard and you say, ah, oh, that's working, that's not working. So you will change the tactics. But the strategy, this is what everybody needs to know from each other. What's your marketing plan? What's your strategy plan? And you know the difference, let, let's, let's be precise because this is the CMO Alliance. Week, this is advanced talking. <laughs> so strategy and planning are two different things. Now, my book is called Strategy Sprints for a reason. Planning, a marketing plan, is not a marketing strategy. What's the difference? Planning is just a list of activities, and they hopefully build upon each other. Not always, but it's people listing out activities and projects. That's a plan. It's nice to have. You will never win with a plan. 
not even if you execute it brilliantly. <laughs> you win only if you have a strategy and you execute that brilliantly. So what is a strategy? Strategy starts with the question, what are we excellent at? So where are we miles ahead everybody else? Light years ahead. That's what we stand for. That's the first question. Where are we light years ahead? Then second, who needs this? Third, where do they meet? Where do they hang out and take their decisions? And then fourth, how are we going to crush it there? <laughs> and that means literally crush it. So how are we going to win in that realm where they meet? Now, with these four things, now you have a strategy. And now you can go into planning and say, okay, which activities will lead us there? And let's double check that they build upon each other. Now, that's a strategy and a plan. And now, of course, if you execute it, that's the sprint part, then uh, you can win. So when it comes to being adaptable with the different tactics that you're trying, like changing things as necessary, what does that mean about team composition for a marketing team in this kind of environment? Because it sounds like you need people who need to be able to mix and match, be able to try different things. So is it just about generalists or about having like a broad team of specialists so you can pick and choose which uh, which capabilities to lean on? We have a core team of five people always. Mm -hmm. And then we have broader onion rings uh, in, 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 a, in lesser a degree of commitment. And the outside ones are just, you know, freelancers and suppliers and agencies that work for you, performance-based and have a contract. But the most important thing is this core team. What's the core team? That's one person who understands uh, the client, one person who understands the technology, and one person who understands scaling. So you need at least, so who understands the business of business. So you need at least a marketing person, a sales person, an operations person, and the scaling person, which usually is executive or the founder or the owner. So with these four elements and one sprint coach, so you can have an external one until you learn the method, but then you can have your own certified strategy sprint coach inside your company. And that's a strong team of five. If you have that, the rest, you can just have onion rings around it and you can scale it up and down as you want. There are teams that are doing many hundreds of millions and it's just five people. And they're doing hundreds of millions every year. So because technology makes it quite easy for small teams to have a huge impact. Think of software teams or, or even agencies or consultancies. They, can, they have huge impact with just very lean teams right now if they organize well. But let, let's talk about technology because that's obviously going to be important. It's obviously can be a very big investment as well. So you have to make sure you're picking the right the right tools to be using. Um, you mentioned having a shared dashboard. Of course, that's going to be very important for interdepartmental communication, particularly data sharing. What else are the essential components of a tech stack? Like what else should CMOs be really thinking about in this regard? Oh, I could talk for hours about technology because it's, <laughs> it's exciting. But we have also make sure that this episode in 10 years is still, is still yes, relevant. Yes. So 
And that and that is the my principle in general. So I can tell you exactly which software you need and which tech you need for which function. And you write down the principles and you pick it accordingly. And I will not tell you specific software names because they will change every couple of years. And you should change them every couple of years. So you need a cloud. That's the first thing. You are built either on Google or, or on, on Amazon, whatever cloud you pick. Start from the cloud. And the reason, and I hope that nobody out there does not operate from the cloud right now. And you see the difference between Figma and Adobe, right? Why Adobe had to buy Figma. They had to buy it, even if Figma is a tiny team and Adobe is a huge team. But they had to buy Figma because they were eating their lunch. <laughs> uh, and why? Because they were born on the cloud and they were born community-based, which goes well together. When you're born on the cloud and open source, you are born community-based. Yeah. And that's a much stronger strategy. It's a platform strategy. And uh, if it works, it's unstoppable. It worked for Figma. Congrats, Figma. <laughs> so you start with a cloud, you pick a cloud, and you stay there. Um, I can even tell you, you need four folders on the cloud. Four, just four. Keep it simple. Uh, projects. Areas, resources, archive. That's it. That's how you run a global company. Wow. With four folders on the cloud. That's how we run 14 countries. And uh, you, you keep it like that. And in the projects, you have the active stuff going on. In the areas, you have all, all the things that don't have a clear goal and a clear end that you can check them off. Those are the areas. Like marketing is an area, but in marketing, you have projects, right? Hiring is an area, but hiring the next VP of sales is a project. Right? And when it's done, you move them to archive. But before you move them to archive, you pull out the knowledge, the checklists, the blueprints that you will reuse, and you put them in resources. The rest goes to archive. So that's the first foundational piece of tech and how to use it. The second is then a communication system that is not email. There are many, you know, Slack, Discord, pick your favorite one and change them every couple of years. Uh, but it's a communication system that should be fun and immediate. And it feels like playing World of Warcraft with your friends. <laughs> and it does not feel like being a chicken inside of a huge trading floor. <laughs> So it's it's you know it's it's fun to use. That's the second piece that you need. A third piece that you need is um, who does what. So the current tasks. Pick a task manager. Our, we we use Asana. We love it, but there are many great task managers, I guess. And then you need one just for the processes, for mapping the SOPs. And uh, we use Notion because it's just visual and it's, yeah, it's visual and it's simple. So I think with that stack, you can go very far and then you, you can become fancy. And I can tell you, 
Oh, well, oh yeah, you need a CRM. You need a CRM, and what should this CRM be capable of? Of course, um, making your life easy, interconnecting marketing and sales, and um, having templates, having workflows and automations, and work on every phone, anytime. So all of these things need to work on every phone, every time, on any moment. That's it. That's wow. it. And I have also my favorite CRMs, of course, but hey, pick yours. And you don't need to be very fancy and you can go very, very affordable in all of these categories. Well, it, it, yeah, it sounds like a very, very almost a clean tech stack. There's no like extra stuff that you don't need in there. And also I really like how it's, it's very focused on being able to access anywhere, which is very appropriate for today's working environment with a lot more remote and hybrid teams. Is the agile model suited for those types of teams though? Because it sounds like it takes a lot of people being in the same room all the time, being able to in interact with each other um, on a quite a regular basis. So is it something that's really possible in a remote environment? Totally. So uh, the, the only room where you meet is actually your Slack or Discord or whatever you pick to, to really meet. And, you know, our, our team is in 14 countries. Some people sit in Bali and some people are in LA in a fancy restaurant and they just, something pops up on Slack and they, they do it. So it's, it's totally um, doable wherever your people are from their favorite place. And that's where work is also evolving too. Like everybody will be in their favorite places and there will be no separation between life and work. It will be kind of one thing, right? We are expressing ourselves and we are learning and we are evolving. And one of those vehicles is, is our friendships and our families and one is work, right? So that will become easy. And since it's the CMO Alliance for marketing, there are amazing softwares there we could go fancy like if if you check out the newest developments on buyer intent that's the keyword and if you want to spend money spend it on getting buyer intent data uh, i don't know how they do it but they can tell you this company is looking for this kind of thing right now and that's the information you want to have if we are talking about what is the most important thing this is the most important marketing and sales information ever. Well, yeah, that's that's the type of investment that's going to benefit all three of those those departments we talked about. It's going to be beneficial to sales, operations, and marketing. So I think any CFO will be very happy to let you have that investment for sure. Because that, that's, the, that's the thing at the end of the day, you've got to be able to convince your CFO that investing in these tools is appropriate and being yeah, able to do it you, this way. And you do it by showing facts. You say, look, we have tried the two weeks free trial. We have closed 400,000. Now I want the full budget. These are the facts. Now I want the budget. Yeah, Don't yeah, even they're... ask. Just create the facts. Come with the facts. <laughs> don't spend a huge time in, in creating slides. Don't create any slides. And don't even ask for permission. Just create the facts. Show them, hey, I did this for two weeks. This is what came out. Look what, can, what I can do in, in 20 weeks. And that, that's one of the advantages of the, the agile model is having these these quick cycles that you can 
be able to show results from. Whereas like yeah. a traditional model, you probably need to wait for potentially yeah. a, a year or something, or maybe longer yes. to really start showing the results. Yes, literally. And, and you know, the time is over where your competition waits for a year. Mm. They are building, they are selling, they are eating your lunch. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Then we don't want that. Certainly not, Simon. Um, so, so I think this has covered quite a broad scope of what it is what it means to be a marketing leader in an agile sales environment. Let's see if we can tie everything together. Do you have any like golden rules that CMOs need to keep in mind when it when it comes to this? I like to think in these three habits: daily habit, weekly habit, monthly habit. Daily. And people can download it, those templates on our website. They're open source. It's strategiesprints.com. So daily, how do you allocate your time? What will you delegate tomorrow? And delegation can be to a software or to an external person or to somebody from your team. Then weekly, what are the three most important numbers? And are we moving in the right direction at the right pace? Pace is not enough. You need pace in the right direction. That's the difference between speed and velocity. Velocity is speed, including the direction of the speed. Because you can be the fastest marathon runner, but you're running in the wrong direction. <laughs> and so that's why velocity matters. And then every month, a strategic check and a competition check. So um, what else can our clients do? on their own if they don't buy from us. What else can they buy from competitors? In the top 10 features, where are we winning? And we will reinvest more into that. Where are we losing this month? And so we will cut costs from those features and we will reinvest in the next month's budget into more, into, into more quality of the two features where we are currently winning. It's what we what we call sprint budgeting. So these three things, and you can endure any weather. Fantastic, Simon. Yeah, and especially with some bad weather on the horizon, it's always good to know what you can, what tools you need to get through that. Um, so thank you very much, Simon. As I said, like it's going to be very very important for teams to be resilient and agile moving forward over the next few years. So I think this is going to be a very very valuable conversation to our audience. So thank you very much for joining us today, Simon. Thank and you for doing this. Keep rolling, everybody. <laughs> Thanks, Simon. And uh, thank you to our audience as well. Thank you very much for joining us. As I said, I'm sure this has been very valuable um, with everything that's going on in the world. Um, we'll be back soon with some more CMO combos. Like what you heard from this CMO combo? Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a rating so the whole world knows how great it was.